0: what does a good deal look like? So this is a little, I mean, there's always a back of a napkin to see if it's a deal. It's trusting right up front and then verifying as you dig into due diligence. So Mm -hmm. meaning you're looking at the net operating income, you're looking at the expense ratio, and then you're seeing what that cap rate is and does it fall in line with what you're buying in those MSAs. Welcome to the Free From Wall Street podcast, where we share how we have done over $200 million in real estate deals to create, Preserve and pass on generational wealth without the roller coaster ride of the stock market. If you're ready to start investing with purpose, visit freefromwallstreet.com. But for now, let's dive into this episode.
1: Super excited for today's show. It's another one of our Ask the Expert episodes. We have two amazing people on the line with us right now. We've got a man with a ton of experience in this business and other real estate ventures, Stephen Libman, and a very motivated, aspiring investor, Caitlin Nortz. So Stephen graduated from Boston University in 2004, spent 10 years in real estate, first as a broker, then as an investor. Stephen endeavors to partner with growth-oriented, like-minded partners and investors to assist them in achieving their goals of passive income and generational wealth creation. He currently manages, owns and manages over $150 million mm-hmm. in assets. And I'll put the rest of the bio in the show notes, and I'll let Stephen tell you about all the other wonderful things that he's done. So that said, Stephen, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I that gets a little long winded. I got to shorten that, huh?
1: You know? Yeah. Well, we, we can, we can, <laughs> like fix. here's all
0: the stuff I do now. Yeah. It's all
1: good. You know, it's um, one of those things I, I do the same thing, you know, when I'm on podcasts send them bios, but, uh, you know, now that I'm, now that I'm actually reading the bios, you know, I, I I've done like three bullets, you know, but, uh, um, yeah, that no, said, Tops of
0: the Waves is good.
1: Yeah, whole bunch of stuff there to unpack. And you know, for anyone listening, definitely head down to the show notes, check it out. A lot of goodness in there. But Stephen, go ahead and uh, why don't you introduce yourself?
0: Yeah. So uh, I am one of the managing partners of Integrity Holdings Group. We are a multifamily and self-storage investment mm-hmm. company. Those are the two asset classes that we live in for volatility reasons, and we could touch on that later. Mm-hmm. But I started in... Residential real estate, as uh, I think a lot of us do. I was a broker. I was, well, as an agent, right? Showing Mm -hmm. houses. And then I was a broker managing an office. And my niche in that space was finding good deals for investors to flip. Quick story. One of my last deals I ever did, I made this guy a bunch of money, finding him a bunch of good flips. And at one of our closings, he held my feet to the fire because a pool ladder went missing. It came out of my commission. It was $600, but it was the best $600 I ever spent Hmm. because that was the day that I decided I don't want to work for anybody else anymore. And I uh, started Integrity Holdings Group with my partner, Travis. And then we grew that residential business to 100 to 150 flips a year. Mm -hmm. Um, Got kicked in the teeth a lot along the way, but figured out some systems and processes and hiring and our, our why, right? And that's mm-hmm. kind of the biggest thing that drives the business. And then um, recognize that this is a very transactional business, right? You do a flip, you get paid once, it, yeah. and then you have to go find another flip or another wholesaler or whatever you're, you're doing in the residential space. And not only is it very transactional where you get paid once, but you get killed in taxes along <laughs> the way. Yeah,
1: it's 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 not tax friendly to flip houses.
0: It's not your ordinary income tax. When you're in, I I just moved to South Carolina, a little bit more tax advantageous than New Jersey was, but up in New Jersey, I mean, we're paying upwards of 50%. And now with the potential new tax laws coming down, they said that New York and New Jersey could be 62, 63%. Oh
1: my goodness.
0: So like, it just didn't make sense. And one of our mentors said, hey, you should start investing some of that active capital into some passive deals and get some Mm -hmm. of that depreciation. And I said, I don't know what that is. Uh And he said, well, go read Tax-Free Wealth, right? From Tom Wheelwright, who's Uh Kiyosaki's CPA advisor and read Tax-Free Wealth and recognized that the tax code is not necessarily a book of rules that I should be afraid of, but a playbook on how to pay less taxes if I yeah. use it properly. And uh, and that's how we got out of residential and into commercial. And since then, we've built three ground up self-storage facilities, mm-hmm. uh, totaling 350,000 square foot. Nice. And we have a couple hundred units of multifamily in uh, Dallas and Columbus, and we're buying a 384 unit right now in Daytona Beach. Nice. So that's been the evolution of the business. and uh, And that's kind of the sweet spot that we sit in now.
1: Nice. So yeah, there's tremendous tax advantages to this business. You know, I, I just talked to a, a realtor who very similar to what you said with flips. It's a transactional business. The way he put it is, I, I go through closing. You know, we celebrate. You know, I always bring champagne out to everybody, and then I wake up the next morning and I'm unemployed again, and I've got to start working to do it all over again. But yeah, uh, um, yeah, it, it's. I think that's something that a lot of people look for is get away from the transactions and get more towards something that's going to produce you know, multiple you know, checks along the road for, for actions you're doing right now. Um, so just curious, and my wife is from Lexington, South Carolina. Where in South Carolina did you guys land?
0: So just outside of Hilton Head in a town called Bluffton. It's right okay. over the bridge. Nice. Literally went on vacation the week before Christmas, never mm-hmm. been down here. And being an investor, we always are looking at Zillow, right? So we're yep. like- this looks like a good deal and a nice community. Let's go take a look yep. and make an offer and buy it and, and go home and sell all of our stuff. And now so that's we're exactly moving. what we did. Yeah. And now we're moving with three yeah. small kids. And uh, yeah, it was impromptu, which is not my wife. That's very much me. I'll jump and grow mm-hmm. wings on the way down. My wife, we prayed about it. She had peace. We pulled the trigger and here we are.
1: Nice. Yeah. I, I love South Carolina. It's it's where we do most of our investing. And incidentally, two weeks ago, uh, we spent the week at Myrtle Beach, you know, so that's that's kind of our annual vacation spot. Awesome. Um, well, but, we'll get to uh, play some golf then. You head out here. Absolutely. I mean, Myrtle Beach has some great golf. Hilton Head has some great golf, you know, either way. Um, when I'm down there, you know, I'll look you up and uh, we'll definitely, definitely hang out. But uh, Sounds good. All right. So, so, Back to to multi-family ventures. Um, so you say multi-family and self-storage. We we don't talk a lot about self-storage on this podcast. I'm I'm going to deviate from my my normal. Uh, tell us why you like self-storage and kind of kind of compare it to multi-family if you would.
0: Yeah. So when we got into this business, we were looking for something that would be less volatile. I mean, mm-hmm. even the even the single family space, it was pretty volatile, right? And when it rains, it pours, and when it's a drought, you you know you're still burning marketing dollars and cash. But there was a lot of ebbs and flows in that business. So mm-hmm. you know we were tired of doing that after a decade. So we said, how do we figure out? the least volatile asset classes. And we just dove in and started doing some research. And during the last downturn, self-storage was the only asset class to actually grow year over year through the downturn. You're talking maybe. the 2008 downturn or COVID downturn? 2008. 2008, yeah. Got it. So, you know, when that meltdown took place, self-storage actually increased 5% year over year through the downturn. Mm-hmm. So we liked that. And Forbes calls it the recession-proof asset class. It's getting pretty crowded now, so it's harder to find good deals. But how is it like? And multifamily, everybody always needs a place to live, right? So we do B and C class assets, some value add, but those are the types of deals that low volatility. I think the Mm -hmm. stat was in 2008, there was a 4.5% mortgage default rate, which is what created the downturn. And in multifamily, it was like 0.4%. Yep. Right. So defaults were so those are the two asset classes that we like because of the lack of volatility. We like consistency in the portfolio. We're building long-term generational wealth here. So we don't need to hit home runs on every
1: single deal. So that's why we we chose those two. Nice. Nice. And and the one thing that I've heard, and it kind of makes sense with the the self-storage asset class, you know, things are really good. People buy a lot of stuff. And if they buy a lot of stuff it goes into storage facilities. Right. And when things are really bad, people downsize and then all of their stuff that they bought when times are good goes into storage facilities. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, so a lot of macaroni art. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You know, um, you, something, you know, I'm, I'm active duty military. And one thing that uh, I think I'm somewhat grateful of it's one of those double edged swords, but when you move every two to three years, you know, we tend to to go through our stuff a lot more frequently. So, so purge stuff, you know, and uh, haven't had to do the self storage yet. But um, don't do it from a from from a personal perspective. Don't do it yeah.
0: from an owner perspective. Come with all yeah. your stuff, right? But and, and,
1: and park it at your spots, you know, not not a, not their spots. You yeah. know,
0: we like to say it's a sticky business because once somebody gets, once you get them in the door at a hundred mm-hmm. bucks a month it's one of those fees that just gets charged to them mm-hmm. every single month and they don't come and visit their stuff. They forget about it. Right. It's yeah. like you forget what they have, but yeah, it's a sticky business in that, you know, there's not a ton of turnover, well, you know, college kids moving in and out obviously, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting business and price per square foot rentable is almost comparable to multifamily. Really? Right. Wow. But without all of the kitchens and bathrooms and, mm-hmm. you know, plumbing issues and roofs and all that stuff. Right. So it's, Um, We just, we built three ground up. So, you know, it's steel and concrete. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward.
1: Well, you know, as far as the ground ups, um, I listened to uh, one of your podcasts the other day where you talked about one of those and I encourage everybody um, the podcast. Let me if I got it right. Um, I had it right here from Wall Street to Maine. Actually, go ahead. You tell us what the what the, the title is, because I, I just I, think I just screwed it up. Yeah. So it's free from Wall Street, free from Wall Street. OK, and... I just gave you somebody else's podcast. <laughs>
0: That's all right. I'm sure that one's <laughs> great, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But free from Wall Street because my dad lost half of his uh, <laughs> money in Wall Street in the last downturn but then he passed away he didn't get to ride that wave back up so you know we always like to say it's a game of musical chairs and you better hope that when the music stops you have a place to sit but that's what wall street is mm-hmm. and you know in terms of researching lack of volatility and why we don't put any of our money in wall street unless it's gambling money i do i do take a couple yeah. gambles on like tesla and zoom legalized and stuff and, gambling right oh, yeah. <laughs> but absolutely but it's yep. not predicated on anything real, right? I mean, it used to be predicated on earnings and stuff, but now it's whatever Elon wow. tweets is going to drive the market, which I don't, you know, I can't invest in that. Maybe I'll make mm-hmm. some money in that, but I can't invest long-term for myself and for my kids' retirement to yeah. figure out if that's going to be sustainable, right?
1: Yeah, you know, and I, I have the same, I have a lot of misgivings with the stock market, Um And I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate time will tell, but, you know, I've got very religiously deposited money every month into a, you know, government sponsored retirement plan. you know, so that's the only place I got.
0: Yeah. Seriously. Military guys are the only ones that I'm like, yes, go do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's just a safe place to put it. You guys have different options than a lot of people in 401ks. Like they're not driving you to buy mutual funds, particularly it's so, yeah, we have a lot of military investors and partners and, uh, Yeah. I mean, they recognize that they should do it because it's, it's easy to do.
1: You know, and that, that's, that's why I did it. It was, you know, 20 something year old Brian who made that decision and put it on autopilot. And I think it's a good thing to put on autopilot, but end of the day, you know, if, if 40 something year old Brian was, you know, in 20 something year old Brian's shoes, you know, I I think I would have invested my money differently is all, you know, so I would, I would have focused a little more on real estate and, you know, a little less on, on the markets, but yeah, uh, for sure. But it, I mean, I, I've got money in there now and I'll, I'll be able to, to pull it out when I retire in um, 97 days now. What? And uh, I Congrats. know, right. Nice. Yeah. That's so, exciting. Yeah. That's one of the first things I'm going to be doing is, is rolling it over into a solo 401k and, you know, dropping it in somebody else's syndication. So anyway, that's I'm right. Hands I, off. I, yeah. almost ex- as excited for that as I am for retiring. So yeah, but, uh, absolutely. Uh, anyway, so one question I'd like to ask everybody, Stephen, and this is, you know, kind of, uh, you know, peering into your soul, you know, what's your big burning why, what's your, your motivation for, for doing all of this?
0: So our tagline is invest with purpose. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, so we're a Christian company. We are trying to build the kingdom for Christ. And what that means is love on people, solve some of the hurting in the world. and. um Try to be kind of a light in a dark place, right? Mm -hmm. And very simply, what we do is we carve out a percentage of cash flow and ownership in every single deal that we do for a nonprofit. Uh, there's no shortage of need in the world, and we'll give probably over seven figures over the next three years just to nonprofits that we've already partnered with in some of these deals. So that's our why, right? We want to impact the world in a positive way. We want to leave a legacy for ourselves, for our children, for our children's children, uh, in a way where we can say, "Wow, you know, we've had a lot of fun, we've done a lot of cool stuff, but we've really left a mark and yeah. impacted people in a really positive way."
1: Yeah, and and when you do it that way, when you when you're leaving the legacy for your kids, it's not just the legacy of wealth. It's, it's the legacy of giving as well, you know, and and hopefully, you know, and I I wish the same thing for my kids is, you know, hopefully, you know, when, when they grow up and you inherit some of what I've worked for, they're giving as well. And my, my wife and I also contribute to, you know, our church and we were just talking last week about, you know, let's, Let's see if we can make a six-figure per year donations to to charitable organizations. You know, and that's uh, so. Yeah, I love love what you said. You know, a great goal resonates a lot with me. Um, yeah, I mean six figures. You know, but to give six figures annually, you've got to be making. You know, you got to have more than six figures coming in the door. That's right.
0: That's, uh, well, you you can overflow. Yep. but you have to be filled up first right yep. and that's Absolutely. that's kind of the the rule and as our income grows your budgets don't grow necessarily mm-hmm. for the stuff you want right you get to a certain place and you recognize that okay we're so we're good yep. now what else can we do to impact saving girls from sex trafficking in the Philippines digging mm-hmm. wells in western africa for people that don't have it yeah. and you know our whole team is you know we get together every year every quarter, and we 're talking about the nonprofits that we're going to support that year, and we're all rowing in the same direction we know that the day to day is multifamily it's and what I love about multifamily too is not only do we get to give in the abundance of the deal flow but you're impacting all of those families that live in your complexes mm-hmm. right we're buying three hundred and eighty four units with almost a thousand people. And you get to impact their lives. Now, is it going to be in a positive or negative way? Right, is up to you as the landlord. So that's kind of the the route that you you get to really touch people in a bunch of different ways through this business. It's amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah. And we we also buy the B class and C class, and you know we've put dog parks in just about every every apartment mm. complex that can support it. You know, and that's that's yeah. that's, that's a huge deal. For we do that too. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, playgrounds, I mean, not a lot of people use playgrounds and, and a lot of people tell us it's not cost effective, but for the handful of mothers that have the small kids, I, I can tell you personally, when when we move, one of our criteria is we want to be close to a playground for the kids. We don't go there a lot, but you know, the playgrounds really help. And I But you we, can, yeah. yeah. We do the same yeah. thing,
0: Brian. It's uh... Yeah. And yeah, it's a simple thing, right we We try to make some outdoor hangout spaces too, mm-hmm. right put some benches out with some some grills, some oh, community yeah. grills and things like that because you can create a community there, right exactly and, and if you want to talk the monetary side of it, um, mm-hmm. the more community based your community is the less likely it is that people will move out and your the turnover stickier is stickier your cost. tenants are
1: yeah there there's not a direct you know if you look at rents you know you put a playground up it doesn't really affect your rent levels like other things do but i mean you hit the nail on the head it affects your turnover rate you know you have a, a higher renewal rate which means your your turn costs go down and your vacancies go down so there there's definitely a monetary aspect to it as well and it, it doesn't cost a whole lot you know, to put up, you know, a hundred meters of fencing for a dog run or dog. Yeah. Park. So absolutely. But and uh, you get to
0: charge them pet rent and pet security.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, it attracts to increase the your NOI. Yeah. So. Yep. Well, well, let's let's talk. Uh, we we talked kind of in in a little bit of uh, very vagueness about some of the deals or projects. Let's dive in specifically about one of the projects that you're proud of or just want to talk about.
0: We could talk about those, but let's talk about one we got our teeth kicked in on.
1: Oh, nice. Even better
0: you know? So when we started in this business, we were mostly on the capital side, right? Mm -hmm. So we were fundraising for sponsors that had a track record. And that was the fastest way to get involved in the business from our Mm -hmm. perspective was we had some money raising capabilities because of our single family experience. And so we did the first three or four projects, nearly, I don't know, $45 million worth of assets Mm -hmm. that way. And then we, I don't know what it was. Maybe, you know, there's always that little voice in the back of your head that says, no, you should be the operator, right? You Mm -hmm. should raise all the money and be the operator. You'll keep the lion's share of the deal. You'll be in control. Bigger piece of the pie. Bigger piece of the pie, right? Yeah. Well, that comes with its downside as well, right? Asset management and property management, for those of you who have not done it yet, Mm -hmm. is a bear, right? So you have to have systems and processes and the people to asset management. What is asset management and how does that relate to property management? Well, in this deal, 66 units, C minus property. We took it down because there's good upside gentrification in the area. Uh, How hard can it be to turn the tenant base? Well, quite hard actually.
1: Yes. A
0: lot of crime in there. We put cameras in and the things that we saw on these cameras, I mean, it was just I can't believe what we saw. It was horrendous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have families that were living in there. So we are trying to make it safe. So now we have 24-7, you know, uh, guarded patrol and we're turning the mm-hmm. tenant base. And then COVID comes and it was a difficult season. We got this thing down to 67% occupancy, mm-hmm. right? And turning all the bad apples away and getting new tenants in. And now, now we're getting spending CapEx. And it finally turned around, but it took about a year mm-hmm. of real hard work and a lot of learning the process on how to asset manage. And by the way, when you ask your property manager what their plan is, that's not the plan, right? Your property manager is not telling you what your asset management plan should be. Maybe they will after you build relationship with them, but don't take their word for it out of the gate like we did because it literally just lights money on fire. Mm -hmm. So we've been in this deal now about two years and we are under contract to sell it. And we are giving the investors... Exactly what we promised them in the pro forma in terms of return profile, which means we actually are taking a little bit of a haircut on the deal. Not Mm -hmm. like we have to kick money into the deal, but we're taking less than we expected to make on this deal just Mm -hmm. so that we could sell it. And the reason that we're selling it is because another operator with a couple thousand units in that market who has the asset and property management experience is going in there. They're taking it over and thank God we bought it well Mm -hmm. because now we're getting the returns back. We're getting the investor capital back. We're turning that into another project. That's more cash flowing and stabilized. And we have learned our lesson that we don't necessarily want to do these C minus D class properties in a little bit of a war zone area because we're not that operator. And there are those operators out there that do well, but I'll be glad when this thing closes. I'll, I'll, just be honest it's you know it's the only business by the way that I think you can make this many mm-hmm. mistakes and still make money so thank <laughs> god right we're still safe yeah. and everybody's making money but it it was we built ourselves a job and that's not why we got in this business in the first place Thank you so much for listening to the Free from Wall Street podcast. We're excited that you're listening and tuning in every week. But we want to have a two-way conversation with you, not just a one-way conversation. So go to integrityhg.com backslash webinar and join us on one of our weekly webinars where you can meet me, meet the team, have a conversation, and let's really talk about your
1: investing goals and how we can help. You know, a lot of people talk about the you know buying at a higher cap rate. you know, and you know cap rates right now are I think almost at ridiculous l- levels, you know, when you're looking at some of the major metros. and I think there's there's a lot of people who say, well, I can still get an six cap, well, an eight cap or maybe a nine cap if I do a c minus. and they look at that as a good idea. but uh, you know i'll 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 be you know second person on this podcast to tell you probably not a good idea unless you are that type of operator, you know? So um, yeah, I'd love, love to tell you a similar story. Um, and we actually have a similar story, but uh, you know, we're, we're turning that property around and it's been, it's been a headache. We are going to be able to give our investors the returns that we promised, but for us, it's been a headache is, is really the answer to that. So,
0: yeah.
1: um, so Steven, this is a question that I also really love, you know, what's next for you? So we've pivoted back
0: to our original model, which is partnering with institutional grade sponsors that have uh, 40 years experience, 30 years experience. Mm -hmm. And we basically are becoming the investor first, right? We go into these deals, looking at the operator, looking at the market, looking at the deal, doing Mm -hmm. the underwriting, and then saying, is this a deal that we're going to put our own corporate money in? Mm -hmm. And once we decide, yes, we're going to do that, then we open up to our investors and invite them to come along for the ride with us. And then for that... We manage the managers, right? We hold their feet to the fire, and we are looking at the monthly reports, and we're looking at kind of the budget versus actual variances, and it also gives us the lifestyle that we're looking for because we're not in the day-to-day. We're not calling the police when we see something on these uh, cameras that we don't want to see. We're also not buying that kind of building anymore, right? We're buying a $42 million asset in Daytona Beach right now, solid Class B, solid cash flow, solid six cap. And it's a very different type of asset. So what's next for us is more of that, right? We want to live in the 40 to $60 million asset range. Uh, we want to do four to six of those a year, depending on capital raising capacities. Mm-hmm. And eventually we want to be able to do these deals to where we're not carving out a piece for the nonprofit, but we're just keeping a small piece for ourselves and we're doing deals and giving them away.
1: Nice. Yeah. So, so looking at your progression, you know, once you got into multifamily, you started raising capital for other people's deals, decided to do a GP or a, a sponsorship of your own. And now you're back to raising capital. So. Yeah, we did three
0: deals, by the way. I mean, over three. 200 and something mm-hmm. units where we were the lead sponsor. That one was the hardest. The other two yep. are, are we've learned a lot and we're, we're okay there. Yep. But also, it's still a time suck for somebody in my company, mm-hmm. right? And we want to keep the team lean and now finding these institutional grade sponsors that have all this experience. We're basically stealing those guys from Wall Street. The, con- the, con- the guy that we're working with on this next deal has been historically funded by REITs. He loves the free from Wall Street idea because we're giving higher returns to our investors than Wall Street is. And uh, we're able to keep more of the returns in the deal versus giving it to wall street so helping them become free from wall street
1: yeah that's right podcast plug right there if you guys didn't catch nailed it but uh, boom (laughs) yeah and if you're watching the video you may have seen me pick up my phone to actually double check the title before i threw that out but uh that's that's all right um anyway Thanks for thanks for sharing your story. Uh, we're going to shift gears right now and bring on Caitlin. Caitlin Nortz is a former college and professional volleyball player turned sales professional. She loves to run, cycle, play tennis. She lives in Chicago Tundra, is how she puts it. Hey, Caitlin, it's is it cold? True. Is it cold there right now?
2: It actually kind of is. We uh, yeah. <laughs> took a turn and then went right back. We're in oh. the thirties today, I think.
1: Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got a jacket on. I woke up this morning and I identified with summer. And so I put shorts and a polo on, but uh, the weather, um, the weather did not identify the same way as I did. But uh, anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to finish your bio and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll discuss them a little more. But so lives in Chicago, she fell into real estate as a mentor suggested that she turned her primary residence into a rental. She then got her broker's license in Illinois, joined a condo board LP'd in a 72 unit and is now looking to GP in the space while still pursuing LP opportunities. Um, so that said, Caitlin, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Brian. Stephen, I'm happy to meet you and congrats on the move to South Carolina. I lived there for seven years and it was amazing. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, really it's 80 degrees town. today.
1: You guys are.
2: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. go
1: play golf later. So. Yeah. My, my kids were in the water two weeks ago. You know, I mean, it was, it was, it was beautiful. So where in South Carolina, I mean, let's have the South, South Carolina love fest. Where in South Carolina did you live?
2: Yeah. So we were in a really small town called mm-hmm. Greenwood, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I think it's like 45 minutes from Greenville, which a lot of people know. Yep. Um, but yeah, my dad was transferred down there when we were little. So we spent seven years there and then I spent another five in North Carolina, but that was more like in my adult life.
1: We just looked at a property in Greenwood, actually, so I know exactly. It, it's kind oh of, yeah. I mean, small world. funny small. But small, small world. It's just, it is a small town, and it's uh, um, we we passed on it, but you know, it's it's kind of like if you put Columbia, Greenville, and Augusta on a map, Greenwood's kind of like right in between all three, where it's like forty five minutes to an hour to to all three. So, but yeah, Greenwood, I, I, I know the area well. I love South Carolina; it's a nice place. But anyway. Caitlin, let's let's talk more about you. Tell us about yourself, your background in and history, and, and kind of walk us up to what got you really super interested in apartment investing.
2: Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a big Midwestern family. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad's like one of 12, so I have 40 cousins on that side oh. of the family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then just like my life was full of sports, like playing three seasons of sports and ended up getting a college scholarship. And then played for about a year in Spain as well. Nice. And then after, yeah, and um, I decided, you know, I think it's time to like come back to the States, get a corporate job, climb that career path in corporate. And I went to limited brands, got a job there and I just was super unhappy. So mm-hmm. transition, gotten to sales, which was like as much as an entrepreneur I felt I could possibly be without owning my own business. And my family also, like, said, you know, that'd be a good next step and a couple of mentors. So I listened to them and then eventually bought my first property. And they said, you know, you should put 10% down on this condo by the one beside it, rent that out. I'm like, this is the biggest paycheck I've ever, or the biggest check I've ever wrote. So I can't imagine Mm -hmm. doing two and just being a property manager and (laughs) owning a place. It seemed overwhelming to do solo all while, like, taking on a new job. Mm -hmm. Um, so fast forward, I bought the one property, moved out really quick. My job transferred me, rented it out. It's been a rental for, since 2017. Um, I'm actually getting ready to sell it in a couple months and I'll make like 50 K on it. So it's been an amazing accidental, uh, purchase and (laughs) just cash flowing the whole time. So as I'm learning this, I have these side-by-side investments in the market and I'm watching what's happening here alongside the accidental real estate. And I just, I've really enjoyed like not only just the actual asset class of real estate, and there's so many ways to invest within, but I mean, financially it just create, it can create freedom off of building passive income and whatnot. So and like you said, Stephen, like I can't, you know, who wants to sit back and wait on someone's tweets to determine like your financial future? It's just, it's an uncomfortable way way to live, and rather comical. So it's
0: terrifying. Eighty percent of Americans, that's how they retire.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. And I've been fortunate enough to like get some good advice from my mentors I have one that's a lot more seasoned than I am and he's retired and he he's a midwestern guy spent a lot of time in corporate I uh, lived in Chicago moved to Florida and he goes you know I retired at this time and I look at myself and all my buddies who retired and those that invested heavy in the markets just didn't end up in a good spot and he spent more in real estate and he's in a good place so I'm like there's living proof of a guy that I know and respect. Like yeah. <laughs> I think I should listen. And I'm also firsthand experiencing like the difference in what's getting better returns. Yeah. So that's kind of why I've pursued it.
1: You no, know, some, something that, uh, that I, I noted, you, you talked about the writing that big check for the investment, you know, and I I went through the exact same thing on our, our first two investment properties, you know, is, is, feeling uncomfortable writing the biggest check of my life. But I, I will tell you six, eight, 10 years later, those big checks have turned into cashing the biggest checks of my life, you know, and that's, that's really, you know, seeing the cash look along along the way was, was nice. But at the end of, you know, coming full cycle on those when, when we decided to finally sell them. And incidentally we decided to sell them to get into multifamily, you know, just cashing those biggest checks, you know, it, it just, all of a sudden, it's a lot easier to write bigger and bigger checks, knowing that, hey, I turned three thousand into one hundred and five thousand, and then I turned fifteen thousand into one hundred and fifty thousand. You know, so and yeah, the returns between my real estate ventures and all that money I've got locked into my retirement account—I mean, it's it's lopsided, and. Um, you can obviously tell which direction is lopsided because I'm moving into the apartment industry. So. Well,
0: and it's um, a great, it's a great year too, right? I mean, the market made 20% this year yeah. and I actually had one of our investors say that like, Hey, you know, the market did better than this investment. And I said, will it do better next year? And the year yep. after and the year yep. after, because yeah. I've been paying the same returns for 12 years, mm-hmm. right? But the market can't say that. So that's the thing, right? Volatility, Volatility. costs money,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but if you just want to look at it in a you know, through a spotlight or through a particular lens for a blip in time, yes, the market can do well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's absolutely right. I mean, the volatility is... is I mean, the average returns are one thing, but that volatility kills you. You, you have a down year like you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine, where you lose twenty percent. It takes you three to four years to get back up to the level you were at prior to. Yeah, and if you just do the math, right? I mean, if you lose twenty percent on
0: hundred k, you don't make twenty percent and get back to even. You got to make twenty five percent to get back to even. So. Yeah you know but this is this is very basic stuff that i wasn't taught growing up right they're not teaching this stuff i went to boston university and teach me this stuff in boston mm-hmm. university right so but this is how america is taught to invest and this is what they're taught to invest in and yeah. uh, you know that's that's part of what we do right is through these podcasts and stuff is educate people that this is a possibility more people that become wealthy become so through real estate and this is how you can also insulate yourself and your family from downside risk Absolutely,
1: all right. Hey, well, Caitlin, I got one more question for you, and then I'm going to turn the mic over. Um, you talked a little bit about how you got in, but what's what's the motivation that you have? What's your big burning why?
2: Yeah, I mean, as I alluded to before, I absolutely I think the asset class is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's multifamily, industrial, retail, I find it all very interesting. But I just I truly think the ability to like create financial freedom for yourself is uh, it's unique in this industry and Mm -hmm. I'm drawn to that. So the opportunity financially.
1: Nice. Nice. Love it. All right. Now comes my favorite time. I have lots of favorite times in this, you know, every episode, but, uh, I get to say, Caitlin, we got Steven on the line here. What do you want to ask him?
2: Yeah, sure. Steven, I would, um, one of my curiosities is how do you quickly analyze deals. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's been refined and over time. Um, But yeah, I guess just like a cliff notes on how you, what's your five to 10 minute, I'm just going to take a look.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, first it's geography, right? Is it in a market that we like to be in and why? And you know, we choose our markets based on growth. So if there's population growth, job growth, and um, then we're, we're, we like that market, right? We're in Daytona Beach, which is that area, that MSA is the fourth fastest growing in the country. We're in Orlando, which is the third. We're in Dallas, which is the second. And we're in Columbus, Ohio, which is the 15th. So first, it's knowing your market, right? Knowing why you want to be there. Don't invest in New Jersey, New York, and California unless you want to lose money. There's a mass exodus from those states, right? Where are they going? They're going to Texas mm-hmm. and they're going to Florida. So that's where we invest. Pretty straightforward. And then what, what does a good deal look like? So this is a little, I mean, there's always a back of a napkin to see if it's a deal it's it's trusting right up front and then verifying as you dig into due diligence. So mm-hmm. meaning you're looking at the net operating income, you're looking at the expense ratio, and then you're seeing what that cap rate is and does it fall in line with what you're buying in those MSAs, right? So if it's, it's very simply, here's what the net operating income is. If it's running at a 55% expense ratio, then we know we can pull that down typically to 47, 48%. Um, just the economies of scale. If it's already... <laughs> the other side of that is if this owner is doing all the work himself and he lives on site which we've seen those deals too and then his expense ratio is 32% well that's not a real expense ratio no. unless you want to go live there and be the property manager so mm-hmm. you know it's really just gauging kind of what what falls within the realm of reason and calling a property manager in that area and asking them what their expense ratio per unit is there's an easy way to do that, right? So, and then once you get more in that market, you know kind of what those numbers are. But if you have the NOI and you have a going in cap rate, even if it's a going in four and a half percent cap rate, right? It's low, but where's the upside, right? Is there 10 units that have been turned that have a $145 rent bump that's being achieved? Well, now I might buy it at a four and a half cap because I have the upside
1: there. $100 rent bump at a four cap is a lot better than a $100 rent bump at a six cap. I mean- just saying. Yeah. I
0: mean, and that disparity, <laughs> right, is going to get you to that future value. So, you know, it's just making sure that people are being honest with their numbers. And so, at first, we'll trust, right? We'll see the, uh, oh, he's cute. She. <laughs>
2: <laughs> For those of you on audio, my dog just popped up on the couch and he's like seven pounds. <laughs>
0: yeah. I often have my kids interrupt these and it's like the, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's like the BBC podcast or, yeah. you know, he's the live yeah. guy or the ladies. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, so that's how we we typically just underwrite it quickly, right? It's uh do the numbers make sense and do we want to spend a little bit more time digging into it? Because as you do, you'll start to find out that sellers are maybe not always as honest as they can be with their numbers. And then mm-hmm. when you dig into them, you can find out like, oh hey, here that being said, you know, we have found great deals where they the seller had like an insurance in there twice. Right. To where the yearly insurance premium was in there twice. And we found it. Other people were passing on the deal because it was like 200K off of the NOI. And my partner, Travis, found it. And he was like, this doesn't look right. So we called and we found out that they paid it. And then they got a different policy and they were waiting on that 200K to come back. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was showing on the paperwork, but it wasn't actual numbers. Right. So that extra $200,000 a year in net operating income made it a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you dig into these things is when you really find the true story. But sometimes you're moving fast and you have to do a quick back of the napkin and get it under contract and then go dig in during due diligence. So I hope that's. Yeah,
2: I yeah I like no, that's there. great. Cool. One quick little follow up on that one. If the numbers seem to check out and the underwriting looks good, analysis is good. But you're kind of 50-50 on it for some reason. Will you rely on your gut to make that like final decision?
0: Yeah, so you know we're so we're actually a praying company, right? So we'll actually pray about a deal before we'll put an offer in on it. So, but yeah, other people could call that a gut reaction, right? But we actually we sit down and we'll, we'll pray about it as a company and see like does this make sense or does it make not make sense?
2: I like that. That's nice. Um, next question: Which full cycle deal that you've completed, would you repeat?
0: It's got to be, we don't have a ton of full cycle deals, by the way. We've only been in the commercial space for three years. So 150 million under management makes us sound like maybe we've been in the space longer than we have. So we don't have a ton of full cycle. One, we discussed before, right? Right. The kick in the teeth, 66 units in Columbus. And then the other one, we're actually exiting all three of our storage facilities right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I would do those again.
2: Take out the full cycle, which deal that you've kind of Started. Probably the
0: probably the one that we're doing right now, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a okay. Class B, three hundred eighty four units. It's ninety eight percent economic occupancy. Fifty percent of the units are already showing the rent bumps and how they were achieved. So we're just going in it's and finishing it off. Yeah. It's it's a very straightforward uh, deal with the operator that sends me a hundred sixty five page report every thirty days and a weekly report every Tuesday.
1: Wow, it's, yeah. it's nice. And that's Fair Daytona, up. right? That's Daytona Beach. Yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah, one of the fastest growing. Now, I, I do, I do very much appreciate the the Metro first approach. You know, if if a Metro is doing super well, you, you can expect rising tides. You know, almost across the board. But uh, wow, I love that. Ninety eight percent economic occupancy is is hard to
2: get
0: <laughs> in so. a post COVID world, right? I mm-hmm. mean, so it's yeah, it, it's that's why I like it. It's yeah. uh, it's a recapitalization, not even a full acquisition. So the operator's mm-hmm. already owns it has been there for 18 months, knows the asset inside and out. It's mm-hmm. very, you know, we're, like we said, we're pretty risk averse. So this is a very low risk,
1: great cash flowing deal. So they're bringing in more money to finish renovations. Is that the, the, the play on this? No, one?
0: so it's kind of, so if you've listened to like how Grant Cardone does his deals, this operator mm-hmm. did the same thing. He'll go in, he'll plop $10 million of his own cash down and then he'll yep. recapitalize his,
1: and get his money, money out. back out. Got so it. he can continue to pursue other deal flow. Got it, got it, got it. Makes sense, makes sense. Sweet.
2: All right, last question for you, Stephen. Um, if you were a professor, a real estate professor at Boston University, which I don't even know if they have that as a major, they do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? That's not two what th- I got
0: a degree in. By the
2: way. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. What two to three real estate classes would you teach? What would the topics be?
0: Yeah. So first, it would be tax law around real estate. I mean. The reason that more millionaires are made through real estate than any other asset class is because we also don't have to pay the incredible tax burden that we used to pay. Mm -hmm. I'm actually getting a six-figure check back from the IRS because, and this, I mean, I'm going to frame this thing and hang it in my office, right? Because I've been paying taxes (laughs) for so long in the single family space. But buried in the CARES Act was a net operating loss carryback meaning I could take all the depreciation from last year and instead of just carrying it forward, I could carry it backwards up to five years. So I get the five years of taxes that I paid in the last five years of my residential real estate business. I'm getting back. So they're writing me a six figure check that I will mount on my wall somewhere. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and now in moving forward in perpetuity, you get to carry that depreciation forward, right? On just this one deal that we're going to be doing, it's going to be between 12 and $15 million in depreciation that we're going to be able to take. Yeah. So generally, I mean, the LP investor, the GP investor, I don't care where you sit in the capital stack on these deals, understanding the tax benefits and how that pours gasoline on your investment returns, right? I mean, so if you're getting 12% in the market, Versus 12% in real estate, that's great, right? But your real estate gains are actually like 15.64% because you're actually not paying the 30% in taxes on it, right? Or if you just take that 30% tax of your regular income tax, your ordinary rate, and you convert that to a capital gain rate at 15%, you're saving 15% in taxes, Mm -hmm. right? And I was in the single family space for a decade and it wasn't until somebody else told me that I was paying too much in taxes and I should start investing some of that active income into passive deals that I started to really recognize that this is how rich people get rich. Yeah. Right. So it's keep um, more, yeah, you get to keep more. I, so I said to my wife, when I made this pivot into the commercial space, I said, we can actually work less, make less money and keep the same amount. And yeah. that's not what happened, but you could, right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: It can happen.
1: It can happen. It can happen. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's something I've I've always been attracted to. Anyway, go ahead, continue Stephen, please.
0: Yeah, so I mean, so that's the first and you know, that's the first topic that I would like to teach on is kind of just the depreciation and how it affects different gains. And you know, I think you mentioned before the show you were in crypto, right? So if you make some crypto gains or you do some stock market gains or you do some private lending on the side and you're doing hard money gains, mm-hmm. The depreciation can go against all of those passive gains, right? And if you're a real estate professional like I am, where this is what I do full time, it can go against your ordinary income as well. So there's little caveats in there where you can just continue to figure out ways to save money. So that I think is an important textbook that has been written, but should be discussed a lot more, especially at the college level. And then second from that is probably just... (laughs) It's a negotiation class, right? Like if if you know how to build relationship with people and get rowing in the same direction as your counterpart, you know, if you haven't read Never Split the Difference, read it, buy it, listen to it. I don't care. Like I've listened to the book 10 times. I've met Chris Voss. Mm-hmm. He's a FBI hostage negotiator. That was the lead FBI hostage negotiator for uh, like 20 years in Manhattan. And he wrote a great negotiation book. And everything in life is, is a negotiation. Right. So when you're talking to your investors, when you're talking to a counterpart on the other side of the table, everything's in negotiation because if you don't get on the same page with whoever you're talking to, a deal doesn't get done. Right. And, and that's in all walks of life. So I think a negotiation course on just how to communicate effectively with people and draw out what other people are looking for. Like to help them get their goal. If you help people get what they want, you get what you want. Right. So I think a negotiation course is probably paramount that it o- often gets overlooked.
1: That's that's a book that I I've been meaning to pick up. And now that you say it, um I, I just happened to get an email right before we started saying I had an audible credit ready to use. So sold. Yeah. <laughs>
2: there you go.
1: Done right there. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, next next on my my listening series, but uh all right. Well, we're we're about out of time here, but uh, I want to thank you both for coming on the show. And one final question for each of you. Steven, you get to go first. How can our listeners learn more about you? Yes.
0: Yeah, so you can always jump on the podcast free from Wall Street. Uh, if you go to our website, integrityhg.com, you can sign up for the investor club. And all that means is that we'll start talking to you about some of the things that we're doing mm-hmm. and we'll get on the phone, we'll talk to you directly and kind of learn what your goals are and see if they align with ours. And if they do, great. If not, that's okay too. Make a make some more friends and, but yes, yeah, I up for the investor club is the best way to get me.
1: All right. Sounds good. We'll have that information down in the show notes. So if you're interested in what the Stephen has to offer, just, you know, tap on your phone, swipe, tap again. And that interweb will whisk you away to the magical website that he's talking about. Caitlin, your turn. How can investors learn more about you?
2: You can connect with me on LinkedIn or you can add me on Instagram too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can give you those Links to Brian, so you can put them in the show notes. Awesome. And I'm also starting a new job in May as an acquisitions manager for a uh, company called Stablewood Properties. So I'll be buying or helping to buy and analyze retail assets all over the country. So if you're in nice. that space, definitely hit me up.
1: Awesome, yeah, one, one step closer to you know being the um, the mogul that you're going to be, right? So. Yeah. All right. So once again, thanks so, so much. And speaking of Instagram, my my daughter came to me yesterday. She texted me yesterday and she's like, oh my gosh, dad, I can't believe you have more followers on Instagram than I do. And I was just like, <laughs>
0: right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Victory. Like, I, I, I had her beat by three. Not not joking. I had three more than she did. I'll make sure right, I before. jump on there and follow you too. Yeah. No. Get, get, get me up to four. Gotta win. You know? Yeah, definitely. So. <laughs> and anybody else who wants to add to my lead, Diary of an Apartment Investor, that's also in the show notes. So just you know, click on the Instagram one and boom, there you go. But uh, thanks again, guys. I had a lot of fun. Hope you guys did too. Thanks for listening to the Free from Wall Street podcast.
0: If you like what you hear, leave us a rating and review and let us know what you think.